totally last minute before I took her off to uh, to her dad's house. Mm -hmm. And he freaking nailed it, like 98%. Nice. Like, yes, proud mommy awesome. moment. My kid's good. She's a genius. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're few and far between, so I got to take what I get. Yeah. Uh, she's six. She's going into first grade. And then my, my middle child, my boy child, is going into third grade. And my oldest is going to be a junior. Wow. Yeah. It's been an interesting week of trying to do online orientation with every single one of their teachers because there's 12 of them between the three kids and so everyone has had a different level of technical ability so some teachers were spot on and we got in we listened to their presentations we could ask questions. and then there was my my boy child's main teacher who i felt so sorry for him because he was trying so hard and at one point he, he came on screen he's like did everybody see the presentation and everyone was just you know, and the look of defeat on his face. He's like, but I just said everything. I feel like crying for him. Let's like you poor man. Yeah, he's over 50, isn't he? Probably. Yeah. <laughs> There's like this thing that happened about two years after I started university where people like just grew up knowing. Well, that's a good screen to freeze on. <laughs> and then we did like MS Word, like what was that? Um, like the typing program, you know, like that's that stuff was like when I was finishing high school. And, and then like five years after that, everybody's like a genius. <laughs> so it's like the under 40 teachers are fine. The over 45, 50 teachers, they're like, I'll go on permanently. <laughs> no, no. You know they're 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 working hard even even with the online stuff. And then we just sent uh, my you know my my middle child. We have four, so there's not really a middle. But she likes to think of herself as the middle child. Uh, sent her off. <laughs> and we we sent her off to, to college on the other side of the the state. And um, you know they're doing in person classes. But what they've done is they've broken the semester they've they've changed the way the semesters are set up so they're they're only taking two classes the classes are in the same classrooms and they're with the same group of kids the whole time so you know there there is exposure um and there's obviously more potential exposure than there would be if she was doing something sitting here at home um but it's it's just interesting to to see the way this works versus you know four years ago or three years ago when when our oldest Christopher um, went to the same school. Uh, just how much more locked down it is. You know they're doing COVID tests every every week. Um, you know it's just such a different environment now. Um, but that's that's the world we're in at the moment until we get a handle on this thing. You know and things are mm -hmm. things are going to be different. We've got to deal with it. Um, Although was it March was the first year in like. 15 years that there hadn't been a school shooting. It was something pretty like staggering. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. That's the, yeah, that's a whole nother uh, yeah. depressing ball game there, but guys, welcome to spilling ink. <laughs> we're, we're, we're back. It's we're live and it's Saturday. I think, I, I don't know this. Uh, yeah, it's a Saturday night. Rain. <laughs> 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 Live from the internet, it's spilling ink. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, we've got uh, two great guests uh, with us tonight who 
both been on the show. We've got Edward Willett and we've got H.M. Gooden. We're very excited to see you both, and uh, I can't wait to have you introduce yourselves. But we've got to do the business stuff, and y'all know I can't do business stuff. So that's why I got to turn things over to Jane to do all the sponsor, all the sponsor stuff. That's right. You were gone for three weeks, Jane. We've now nominated you. Okay. I don't have the text. <laughs> excuses, excuses. All right, fine, I'll do it. And the boss may or may not be watching tonight because he's on vacation. Ooh. Yeah. Random. I mean, he never takes a vacation. That just seems weird when the boss goes on vacation. But anyways, all right. So our first sponsor of the evening, Go Indie Now. If you don't know about them, you should, because they are the online indie artist network that offers exciting new content weekly, monthly, and seasonally, uh, all of which highlight, support, and promote indie artists of all types. And you can check them out at GoIndieNow.com, subscribe to their YouTube channel, or check them out on Facebook, because you have to remember, it's always time to go to with go you now. now. Yeah, we can't seem to time that so I can do it at the same time as you. It, you just it, recording yeah, it. Come on. There, there was a banner that says now you can upload recordings to this program somehow. Do you have you researched that? Uh, I haven't played with it yet, but I have seen it in action and it is super cool. We should definitely look at using it. Yeah, I haven't I haven't watched any tutorials or anything, but I, I feel like that that could be fun. Well, you know who uses it quite often? Oh, Joe. Really? Oh yeah, all of his new shows. He's got great intros. He's got the the feeds for his this week in indies. If you haven't seen a this week in indies in the last couple of weeks, watch because you'll see what he's been doing, and it's really cool. Okay, do do we have a way to to get a hold of this mysterious Joe character? Well, when he comes back from vacation. <laughs> all right. Well, everyone knows the lovely and terrifying Jane Taylor, the Mistress of Darkness. Hey, Jane, how you doing? I'm doing great. I'm glad to be back. Thanks for, you know, covering for me for three weeks. Yes. Well, welcome. Back. And I'm going to be, I'm going to be ducking out on everybody a little bit early tonight. I apologize, but we actually have a uh, guests that are slowly filtering in right now there. We're going to do a little, uh, little gathering here uh, tonight, but, uh, but even though I do know that my my social life is more important than anything else, I, I feel like we should introduce these guests here. Edward, how are you doing tonight? I'm fine. How are you? And I'm doing really, really well. Could you could you tell us all about yourself? Sure. Whole <laughs> life history in 45 seconds. 45 seconds. Okay. Uh, my name is Edward Willett. I am uh, the author of uh, more than 60 books of uh, science fiction, fantasy, and nonfiction. I should say the award-winning author because I've won a couple. Um, my most uh, my most recent uh, series is called uh, World Shapers. It's uh, the third book is coming out in September. It's called The Moonlit World. It's through from Dawbix Books, Dawbix, Dawbooks, <laughs> and uh, it's my main publisher. But I've written for many other uh, publishers. And the other exciting thing I have coming up is an anthology with some very major names in it that I successfully kickstarted, and is putting out with my own little publishing company called uh, Shadow Pop Press. Uh, which is named after our cat. That's why it's called Shadowpaw Press. So yeah, I live in Regina, Saskatchewan, Canada. I'm married to an engineer. I have a 19-year-old daughter. That was that was pretty good. I think you nailed the, the 45 seconds too. And what what type of works is uh, Shadowpaw gonna gonna produce? Is it gonna be all your own anthologies you're putting together or uh, it could be anything. I mean, I just I, I 
primarily started it because I have a lot of books that have come back to me from other publishers or whatever, and I wanted to keep them out there. Or things like my first book was a collection of my short stories. I don't write a lot of short stories, so this was 22 short stories, and the first one was written in the 80s, so that's how long it took me to get enough short stories together to do. I'm, I'm old, I'm old. Um, and then, um, but I also, the second thing I brought out was actually the first World War memoirs of my uh, wife's uh, grandfather, Samson J. Goodfellow. He wrote them late in life, and I'd seen them around the house. This is their house that we're in. It's almost 100 years old. And um, I uh, put that out and, uh, you know, got pictures to go with it and edited all of his memoirs, and uh, that got quite a bit of attention. So uh, at the moment, it's mostly my stuff. And then this anthology is something brand new. I, I had never done this before. First time I'd kickstarted anything. And it grew out of my own podcast because it's authors who are on the World Shapers podcast that I do uh, in the first year. Uh, so, yeah, it's anything that comes along. We're, uh, Shadowpaw Press stands ready to publish it if it makes sense. <laughs> no, that's that's really, really cool. And, you know, I, I've got to ask you about the, the Kickstarter, too, here in a little bit, how you structured that. But, uh, um, Heather, do you want to introduce yourself and give us your life story in 45 seconds? You can do it. Uh, well, I am... Heather. I write under the name H.M. Gooden, and I live in Calgary, Alberta, Canada. And I've been writing since I was young, but it wasn't until that middle of the night with the third and three years where you feel like this is all you're going to do till you die, that I actually decided I would write a book. And he is five, so I guess I've been writing and publishing for five years. And I think it really helps maintain my sanity. I have three and a half kids because I have a stepdaughter who is uh, 17. And then I have a nine, seven, and five year old. And I work full time. So that's it. That's all I do. Awesome. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> I, I like it. Now, uh, what about you, Jane? What's your life story? My life story? <laughs> Don't give me that look. She likes to torture and kill her characters. <laughs> yes, well, I like I like to torture my poor characters because I lived a happy life. <laughs> well, and that's you know that's one of the topics we were thinking about talking about tonight. You know, Jane is a serial character murderer, um, <laughs> and so far, you know, I mean, she's at least sociopathic in her tendencies. Uh, you know, but recently, you made a big decision that could change everything in your world, didn't you? Tell us about it. Well, it's it's in the work in progress that I'm writing now. It's uh, Grimm's daughter. And yes, I was thinking, you know, in talking with Katie, which is, you know, somebody who I throw things back and forth on, you know, I was like, I think I'm going to have to kill some people. <laughs> and she's like, no, 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 don't. <laughs> Please don't. Notice how I'm the good influence here. Yes, you are. Make a note of that. <laughs> and, and, and she gave me a seed of an idea that I thought, oh, I can do something different with that. And and I did not kill some of my favorite characters. She sends me a chapter to beta read, as she does. And as I'm reading it, I notice everyone lives. What is wrong here? <laughs> what happened? Are you feeling okay? She's not killing people in real life now, right? <laughs> I wonder. She hasn't flipped. 
<laughs> that, that would be my concern. <laughs> well, I mean, if, if I could find a way, I, I found a way that I didn't have to right now. I like that. That does translate to a good topic because whether or not we're actually killing our characters when we write, it's our job to torture our characters, to challenge them. Yes. Oh, yes. <laughs> so how hard and heavy do you apply that torture all the way up to killing your characters? And, and how, and, and how, if you've done something and, and backed your character in the corner, how do you resolve it? <laughs> yeah. you know, I mean, it's, it's whatever the story calls for. So whatever your initial premise is, it's going to dictate how much torture the guess <laughs> they're going to go through. But there's no there's no fun in having a character that sits around and isn't tortured, of course, because unless they torture other people, in which yeah, well, that, that could be that could be something. Yeah, and um, then it's an inner monologue. About yeah. <laughs> well, and I think you have to be mindful then if you know you're going to be torturing your character which hopefully you are um about where you start and and how quickly things escalate because if you escalate too quickly um there's only a few places you can go i mean you've, you've got murder you've got some extreme assaults that are that are never fun to write or read um you know or you you can go the the psychological route but you know if you escalate too quickly you really not only back your character into a corner, but back yourself as the as the writer into a corner as well. Um, There's so a rhythm. I mean, it's uh, it's like um, you have to have that tension and release so that you get a breather, and then things escalate again, and then you get a breather. Maybe if you're Shakespeare, you throw in the the jolly grave diggers or something, you know, to break up the tension. Um, yeah. But that's, there's, you can oh, have you can write a story. I think with where the tension is constantly, constantly rising, but. I find those a little hard to read. You need to have a place where you can catch your breath, mm -hmm. uh, at least in a novel. In a short story, I think maybe it's different. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, in short stories, you you really you're you're just kind of driving it home the, the whole time down the field, so to speak, I guess. But but yeah, and I just finished um, the the newest uh, James Rollins, who's just a, kind of a mass market uh, thriller genre author, and I, I really enjoy them. They're they're fun, fast reads for me. But and uh, you know he. There's there's a, a lot of tension in his books, but he, he does it pretty well where you do get a little bit of a breather, even if it's only for a page or two. Um, and I feel like it does kind of reset the clock a little bit and then you can go back at it. Um, so I think that's an important point. Yeah, you don't want to stress your readers out to the point that they can't turn the next page because they're, they're just so on edge. You want them to want to turn the page to find out what will happen. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and uh, I mean, you have to sort of pace your ratcheting up of, of the bad things getting badder and badder and badder until the climax of the book, so. There's a writing exercise that I've used the first time that was created by James Van Pelt, who's a science fiction writer, a short story writer primarily, and was also a high school English teacher. He created it for his English class. It's called the Seven Sentence Short Story. And it is just a little plotting exercise. In seven sentences, you get a complete plot in a short story. So you start with the characters trying to achieve something. That's in the first sentence. And the second thing is their action makes them further away from the goal. They take another action. And the fourth sentence is they're even further away from the goal. Then the fifth one is they make their final action. And then they either accomplish it or fail. And 
then you have the denouement. So in seven sentences, you get this this rise and fall of action. Uh, and it's it's uh, it's an interesting little exercise, and it does kind of mirror what you want to do in a larger, and it, and it can in fact serve as a, a Kickstarter <laughs> to uh, to a larger uh, work. That sounds a lot like a, a simpler version of the the beat sheets method that people use mm -hmm. to plot things yeah, out as well. Yeah, it probably is. I hear I hear people talking about that all the time, and I've never looked at it or consciously used it. <laughs> I do in my podcast where I interview other authors. It has come up a few times. People will talk about using that method. Yeah, the um, the the book that I know of is Save the Cat, and I, I haven't yeah. actually read the book, but I have looked up the materials that it covers, and the way that they break down their beat sheets, and and they can have them as simple as like say twenty beats, or you know all the way up to a hundred beats. You can make it as complicated as you want, but essentially it's the same thing. It's marking those specific points of turning in your story. Well, and it's. You know, even even people, for people who don't like to outline, and I know Katie for a long time that you didn't like to do any outlines, but you know, jotting down those key points, um, you know, is a lot like outlining. Or, or for you, what what did you what do you call it, Katie, when you do it? Yeah, I call it the to-do list method. To-do list, to-do list. Yes, and and I think that can be really useful. You know, especially you know if you're if you're talking about something something like what Edward just said, where you've got your seven sentences to, to form your short story, you can take that and you can expand it and have that be seven major points within a larger story that you need to make sure that you hit and then kind of fill in from there and create an outline. Um, and, you know, that might be a kind of a, an interesting way for for somebody who's just getting started to to work on plotting out an, an entire novel. But definitely starting shorter could be could be useful. Another benefit to that, too, is, you know, how writing the synopsis in the back of the book blurb is the worst thing for any of us authors to do or for most of us. We um, hate it. Do you, if you do write those little, you know, seven short sentences, beat sheet, whatever that you're doing, there's your synopsis right there with a little cleanup. Hmm? I just do the movie announcer voice in my head. There's a lot of voices in there, so I love that I that one for the blurbs. So it's always, you know, like Morgan Freeman's in my head. Mm -hmm. uh, I try to outline, but then the people go off. I mean, Idris Elba ended up in the book that I'm writing right now. I don't know where he came from, and apparently he's also Merlin. I don't know. So <laughs> I try to outline, but the the blurb guy is much better than the guy that does the outlines. So my, my problem is I have Samuel L. Jackson as my inner voice. He's there sometimes when I'm really sweary. Hmm. The, the interesting thing about the, the, have I mentioned my podcast? The interesting thing about the podcast, it's just because I'm working on a one right now. And I've, and I've talked to six, well over 60 authors at this point, And it's all about the creative process. It's the worldshapers.com if anybody wants to check it out. Awesome. Uh, I, um, it's very much about the process and it's these kind of conversations and so you talk to people like uh, Peter V. Brett, author of The Demon Cycle, huge best-selling author, and he, he rather shocked me. He writes 150 page outlines and then he just fills it in and brings it you know, from there. And then somebody like Kendara Blake, best-selling author again, uh, she just kind of has that idea and then she runs with it. So yeah, <laughs> it's everything in between. Some of us I do maybe I don't know. I, you know, at this, if I'm selling to, a book to Dom, I'm, I'm selling from a synopsis at this point. So I do like, it ends up about 10 pages, single spaced maybe. 
and then I write it. I hardly ever look at it unless I get in trouble somewhere along the way. So I don't know. I'm not, I'm kind of an outliner, but I'm, it also, it has a life of its own as well. Yeah, yeah. Well, and I think as, as authors get used to writing and write more books, their original methodology changes and, and each book kind of takes on its own way of being written. Yeah. I have found that I started to dictate, which does need outlining if you're not going to get into car accidents. Ah, yes. <laughs> so I outline more now, probably because I'm like, okay, what was I going to talk about? Um, more than because I'm actually going to follow that. So I do like a sentence per chapter kind of outline. So maybe the whole thing is a page. It's like, what did I want to go through? Oh yeah, and then I, and then it will end up often spinning out. But I do it on my way to work, and I can write like a chapter in twenty minutes or whatever. So um, you do need a little bit of an outline to again avoid traffic issues. <laughs> no, and uh, I've gotten. I mean, I've gotten so I do some points now, but I still am sort of like, oh, I have this idea, run with it. <laughs> or if I get stuck, you know, and have conversations, <laughs> I will write down, you know, some of the ideas that were said in the conversation and keep them at the end of the book and look at them and go, okay, you know, do, are they valid? Yes, no, <laughs> whatever. But I don't, the ones that I've outlined to a T, I have never followed the outline. <laughs> as you say, the characters are like, yeah. Well, and sometimes it makes it more stilted too. Like if you're really, really trying to get on that outline and you don't allow your characters to kind of do whatever, I think sometimes you miss that creative part. Cause I did do some co-writing with other authors last year. And and it was it was a struggle because I was supposed to follow this general outline. And I'm like, but I don't wanna write. Uh, uh, I felt like homework more than creating. So yeah, I did so, a, I did a, um, not not ghostwriting exactly, but a house name like this was for. There's a, a kids fantasy series called Beast Quest, and it's written under a house name, but various. It's like the Warriors books and stuff like that. They're actually written by multiple people for one name, and so I had to. They gave me everything. They gave me like this is what has to happen, and boy, I struggled with that because. It wasn't the way I would have told the story, and yet I had to stick. And you know, the worst thing was because it was written for little kids. I was not allowed to kill anything, even the <laughs> evil warthog things that are threatening the characters. All I could do was drive them off, but nothing could die. In the <laughs> I I was started. That was the hardest thing. <laughs> So well, unsatisfying. You, you want to see that evil character get their comeuppance on screen in front of you so that you can feel justified that you went through the story with that character. Yeah. Well, yeah, I do kill the bad guys. I don't kill my good guys because I, you know, I write happy endings. But in happy endings, the bad guys die. That's right. right. You all want to Right. Yes. Well, I, I think that my my one of well not my biggest one of my biggest pet peeves uh, when I'm watching a show or reading a book is um, especially if it's more of a um, uh, a YA um, geared book or or, uh, or movie is when you get to the end and the the bad guy who's done terrible things this whole time does one good thing and that's like their redemption and all of a sudden we're supposed to let them off the hook and I'm like. Are you kidding me? Really? I mean, I want to chop your ears off and like burn you alive still. I mean, I'm not satisfied. With Darth Vader at the end when he. I'm comfortable with My Little Ponies. 
right? So, I'm not okay. really watching them or anything, but it does kind of sound like, you know, Girls of Equestria, where like there are people with tails. I'm just saying. How old are you kids? Yeah, we watch, we watch that in my house too. I can't stand the My Little Pony. But have you noticed the bad guys always end up being good guys in My Little Ponies? That's really yep. the only time I've seen that. So I assumed you're watching My Little Ponies. Well, I, I have seen every episode of My Little Pony. Uh, I'm not going to lie, for sure I have. But, but you know, Ed, Ed made a great yeah. point. It's the, the Darth Vader uh, moment. And, and then, you know, that repeats later on in every Star Wars movie is really. Um, but, uh, you know, the, the bad guy does one redeeming thing at the end. But let's completely forget that he's murdered billions and billions of people. All those patterns. That but doesn't go away. <laughs> and I mean, it makes more sense now that I've seen, you know, like we started with four, five, and six there, and then you went back to one, two, and three, and then whatever. It makes sense why he had that redeeming. Yeah, the last thing. three are kind of whatever. <laughs> yeah, but but it makes sense because you're just like, why did why did they give him a pass at the end there? And you're like, oh, because he started off as a good guy and he let his anger work and blah blah blah. Yeah, but but that's the thing. Algeron, so you know. <laughs> I, I mean, that's what I'm saying. Like growing up in Saskatchewan, so I got it. You know, I understood <laughs> where he was coming. from. Well, and, and that's where I, I feel like we have to also respect our readers a little bit, or if you're making a film, your your viewers a little bit, and in, in knowing that, okay, people are going to want justice, or they're going to want at least satisfaction from certain things. You know, you don't just get to be redeemed unless you've really redeemed yourself. You know, if like, you know, if I, I I grew up as a as a good person, and then I murdered people in my teenage years, and then in my twenties, I'm like, oh, I'm a good person again. I don't get to be a good guy. I'm still the bad guy, you know. Hero now, like Deadpool. Deadpool. Deadpool's great. Reverse of that, Deadpool. you know, the, the Game of Thrones, the TV series, not the books. They they sent the Kingslayer down a couple of season long redemption arc where he actually actively worked towards redeeming himself, and then spoilers for anyone who hasn't seen it, screws it over in the last two episodes of, of the final season where he just returns to who he was before. Yeah. Oh yes, leopard, and he had spots. Oh, that's yeah. right. They yeah. they they ruined the satisfaction of that long drawn out redemption arc by just ah, no, he's the same guy. Was yeah. anything about Game of Thrones truly satisfying? Yes. Right. So I think they did that to mess with you intentionally, and I think you probably liked it a little bit. No, I was screaming at the TV when I saw it. Well, I rem there was a really satisfying part, but in and I think it was uh, first season, like episode five or six, something like that, when Danny's brother gets all the the molten gold poured down his yes. throat. That was satisfying. Yeah, we yeah. all wanted to do that to one person. Yeah. And when Jeffrey yeah. got got killed off, that was satisfying. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Some character deaths were I very have satisfying. So. You know, there's been many times where, like, I'm pretty sure they got a lot of the murder stuff out of Game of Thrones from like my ancestors' history. I mean, that whole red wedding thing, like, that was totally Clan McDonald. Like, they messed that up. <laughs> you do not, you do not kill people when you invite them into your house. Like, that's just not cool. Think of all the cleaning you'd have to do. Well, it was floors, and you didn't. You just threw like fresh straw down. It was fine. <laughs> Yeah, dogs to look at the blood, so it was good. That's, that's true. I that. Love that. About that. 
dogs for a reason. That's where your leftovers go. <laughs> yeah, you're uh, so dirty when you have a dog. That's true. That's very true. Do you ever read survival games of mine? No, I don't think I've read that one. Okay, because that one, the, char the character ha starts off bad and actually has a redeeming arc. So. Okay. <laughs> but you don't destroy it at the very end, though, do you? What? <laughs> you don't you? She totally does. She just, she just like, oh. she looked to the side. I think that's the lie. So yep, yep. Right. <laughs> the the yep. really bad, the really bad guy got his come come up with this. So yeah, <laughs> that's what we want. That's what we look forward to. Yes, yes. <laughs> so that 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 happened, but yeah. Come on, right. come up and says a murder. Yep. Yes. <laughs> Well, I'm gonna be I'm gonna be ducking out on you guys here to uh to tend to my my guest here, but it was lovely to to see everybody and uh, everybody out there watching. Thanks so much for being here, and I'll uh, I'll see you next time. Yes, we got all, we got bigger. <laughs> Is anybody else bothered by their reflective glasses right now? Like yeah, I'm, I'm trying always, to always, always, always. I took off my reading glasses so they wouldn't do that. Yeah. <laughs> if I did that, I'd be blind, and then I would yeah. never know what's going on. So. Yeah, I wouldn't be able to see the comments or anything. <laughs> well, I usually take my glasses off at the computer anyway because I find that um, I've gotten to that stage of life where I think my arms are getting short. I, <laughs> I have to get my new prescription and because my other glasses broke. So I'm wearing an older prescription. So I'm like, okay, can I see? <laughs> I'm waiting for mine to change and be perfect again because they assured me that I had laser eye surgery like 10 years ago and it was good for six and then I had kids and then, you know, mm -hmm. like need glasses a little bit. And they're like, oh, don't worry about it because like when you get nearsighted, in your forties and stuff, like it'll cancel out. I'm like, okay, okay. I'm waiting. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm blind without my glasses. <laughs> right, now, are you far-sighted or nearsighted? Who? Either one of you. I'm been nearsighted. I'm blind yeah. as a bat, but I wear contacts. But now I re need reading glasses over top of my contacts. Oh, no. I've never done the weighted thing. I used to be a minus four, and now I'm like a minus one. So theoretically, I don't need them to legally drive, but then I'd be like this. I think so, I'm yeah. minus 14 and a half or something like that. Wow. I didn't know that was a thing. That's severely nearsighted. Yeah. I have a friend who's minus eight, I thought that I was here cool. without my contacts. Mm. Yeah, no, I, I can't see far. I can't see near. I have an astigmatism in both eyes, and and they're they're too steep for any. <laughs> yeah, I have astigmatism, but it's like not much. Yeah, but they have really cool new lenses out. It's like a bionic eye. Ooh. It's about five grand an eye right now, so hopefully it comes down in price. But instead of getting a cataract surgery, yeah. getting yeah. like bionic lenses, and it's amazing. That's yeah, I have lens replacement. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, but I'm gonna wait till they're not five grand and I. Yeah, that's yeah, cool. that would be a little costly. <laughs> but if you need cataract surgery anyway, and you go for the upgraded lens, then you know it's right. a little bit more. That's kind I of guess. what he's telling me. I'll cataracts. I'm just a hint of them, and uh, once I need that done, then it'll be a total lens replacement and. 
I don't know what I'll do with myself if I don't have to put things in my yeah, eyes. Yeah, when you actually open your eyes and can see in the morning. Yeah, that's, that's weird. <laughs> the reason I did get the laser eye surgery back like in what, 2005 or six was because I was really tired of going swimming and hitting my head on the side of the pool. <laughs> so um, I can still do that. So as far as I'm concerned, it's still a win. But um, that's what you will do. You will not hit your head on things when you're in a swimming pool. That is important. There's not a lot of classes go. wearing heroes in fiction. Yeah. I, I think I it's just, think about that. It's such a pain, it'd be such a pain to deal with, right? <laughs> yeah. I give I've never done it. And I'm you know, I've I've worn glasses my whole life and I don't think I've ever created a of course if I'm writing in fantasy or something that's different, but in things that are written more or less here now, I don't think I've ever put glasses on a character. And I now I'm thinking, why not? You should. Yeah, I don't know if I did, I have either. Because you know, that complicates things. Perfect. Yes. Yeah. 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 Especially in Regina in January, because well, actually now it doesn't matter because we're wearing masks and stuff, so it's just like glasses fogging all the time. <laughs> yep. I'm totally yeah, writing. When I switched to contacts, that was the one thing I really loved was my eyes not fogging up every time I walked into a into the house when it's thirty below outside. <laughs> yeah. Remember those wax crayons that you used to be able to like write on your glasses? <laughs> what did the blind fit <laughs> say when it hit the wall? Damn. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we had these like little, it was like a wax crayon and it like you rubbed it on your glasses and then you rubbed it off and it like kept it from doing that. Did anybody uh, have that? Yeah, I, there was like a, a salve that I had that I would do that with the glasses. But after a while when it wears off, you can't find it again. So <laughs> I saw it sold for car windows. Something yeah, like that. My dad's a mechanic, so it's possible we were. When we moved up here from Texas when I was eight years old, uh, all the cars had these things called frost shields. Now, am I the, mm -hmm. probably the only person that's ever seen one of those? But they're these little, you put a little dead space, so you stuck them on your window, and there's a little dead space between this plastic shield and the glass itself, and then it wouldn't frost up when the rest of your window frosted up. Yeah, we had a 67. They went away. I don't know where they went. Yeah. Uh, they stopped making them because windows got better and cars, but we still use weather stripping in our in our houses in Manitoba. So you just go to Canadian Tire because, you know, you need Canadian Tire. got everything. <laughs> right? They got everything. It's like home hardware, or Lowe's or whatever, but it's Canadian. And um, you can buy like $20, and it's basically like saran wrap for your window with double-sided and then you use the blow dryer. It's like the best to do that. Yeah. <laughs> and if you look at triple pane, they're like a gajillion dollars or the $20 weather stripping package. Even if you replace it over here, better. We were we were talking about Game of Thrones, and the one thing that bugs me a lot in fantasy and has always bugged me in Game of Thrones is that living where we do up uh, in Saskatchewan and you know up here, it's never cold enough in those scenes. Like they're out there north of the wall, and they got their you know they got their hoods thrown back, and I'm thinking your ears froze in 30 seconds. What are you doing? And they never they never do that nose move where you go like that because you know it's minus 20 when you do that. Break yeah. apart, and you're like that minus 20. Nose froze. Yep. yep. <laughs> I, don't I, was, I don't. I don't recall the book text either. No, it should be in there. Yes, it should be. <laughs> for, I mean, for veracity's sake. When yeah. someone I know, uh, when I worked at the Weyburn, I started as a newspaper reporter and editor. Mm -hmm. And uh, somebody had moved out there to join the newspaper, and she was from 
Sarnia, I think, in Ontario, Southern Ontario. And they'd driven a long way in the wintertime without getting out of the car and had <laughs> no how the temperature had dropped. So they got out of the car and they she took a deep breath. <laughs> because <laughs> yeah. the right? You know, not really, but that's the the sensation. And you don't, see, you don't see that in fantasy either. It's never cold enough. It's because everything's filmed in California and places like yes, that. Even in our heads, right? We're like, mm -hmm. well, I am doing a post-apocalyptic work in progress set in um, a post-pandemic Calgary with um, uh, the full fascism on display. So it's going to be awesome. <laughs> and it'll be very realistic. <laughs> when it comes to writing the stories, though, how much detail of these these types of things do you actually put in? Because, you know, we, we can pick them apart after the fact and go, oh, well, they didn't include this, they didn't include that. But when you're actually writing it. I have made a point and at least one novel that had winter stuff to make sure that it was as cold as it was supposed to be. Okay. Um, I had a yeah. book written as Lee Arthur Chain, one of my pseudonyms, called okay. Mage Bane. And it's set in a fictional... the. The, the the landscape is Saskatchewan, except for the mountains and the giant lake of lava in the north, because I needed that. But otherwise, it's Saskatchewan. So the bad guy lives in the Capel Valley, which is not far from Regina. And there's, there's two cities, and the main city is basically Regina's surroundings. And it has a lake, which Regina has, Wascana Lake, in the middle of it. And the king lives in a marble palace on the south side of the lake. Well, the Saskatchewan Legislative Building is nicknamed the Marble Palace, and it's on the south side of the lake. <laughs> and they have very scary ducks that bite you. Yeah. <laughs> <They're>, yeah. <laughs> and um, I made it, because it was wintertime, I actually made a point at one point of the, they, there's this dome where it's always spring inside around the, the palace. And a magical shield and actually my house would be inside that shield if this was the real if this was that so i think that's probably was once he got out and he's in the snow and i had a point he was out there and it was like 30 below and he's barefoot i can't remember why because we torture our characters that's why Ouch. and um uh, you know he had he had, had to have the healer working on the frostbite there because it was really really cold and i tried to make that real cold thing happen it's hard it's probably a little hard to get across I guess because cold is invisible, but uh, I, I think if you feel cold, you know when somebody's writing it correctly. But if you're from somewhere where it's never below zero or below freezing, I think it might be hard to explain to someone. Yeah, it's maybe hard, so. hard to explain how much it can hurt. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I wonder for people who don't know, you know what it feels like to be in the cold if the authors who are writing these stories just assume that everyone does and that's why they kind of skim over some of these details and for a person who doesn't understand cold they're not going to get it they're not going to know that's our challenge everything yeah, we write it's um really really cold cold water like the ocean yeah. and rain or or it's like touching uh, a fireplace like that's actually what it feels like your your pain receptors cannot tell the difference between yeah. extreme heat and extreme cold it's the same thing mm -hmm. and yeah. there's actually some really really twisted research studies that look at things like that with you know putting your hand in a, a bucket of cold water and and like pain tolerance and and things like that I think the women always win. But. So the challenge then for the author is to how much detail do we put in when we're writing these scenes to give the right perspective without slowing the pacing down with too much description? 
or or like what it feels like to to fall into like a snowbank, like like being on it and then in it. <laughs> are you talking about a booter or are you talking about like naked, like whole body? Because no, no, not not naked. Because, <laughs> uh, I mean, yeah, I think, again, growing up on the prairies, most people have a, a really good idea. It's like you're totally fine because you're dressed. And then you've got like a band where it feels like your leg is on fire, where the yep. sock and the pants don't touch. Right. Yes. <laughs> and I sneezed and my boogers froze before they left my hood. That's January in Winnipeg. Yep. <laughs> and that is not something a person who doesn't ever see cold or experience cold would understand right i wrote <laughs> a very good story. description yeah. um i wrote a short story uh set in like the north north it's um it's kind of more of a traditional legend telling uh about a wendigo and it's it's set in january and I mean, I froze myself writing the snowmobiling scene where she's going out like on the back of the, the snowmobile with RCMP because I was just like remembering how cold that is on your face. Like you can't move because it's frozen solid. Like it's numb. You, you have no facial expression ability. So I think you can always overwrite it and then clean it up later and remove some of that. And then when you have people beta read or edit or whatever, you can ask them did you feel cold reading that? It always mm -hmm. goes back to what serves the story and it, exactly. can, it can become self-indulgent as well. So you have to always yeah. strike that balance. I'm an under describer generally because I'm like, yeah, yeah. I skim that stuff when I'm reading. So I'm like, oh, this is beautiful. Like, oh, there's a really beautiful The Bone Witch by uh, Rin, I think it's Rin someone. And it's like the most beautiful fantasy novel I've read in a long time. And it's just like these wonderful scenes and it like really gets you into the book. But it's really hard for me to read that because my attention span is way too short now. So as much as I loved it, like I could read a chapter or two and go, this, this story is amazing. Okay, I'm gonna go cook some supper, like wash something. And, and it, I, that was weird for me because I was into the story and yet having a really hard time reading it because of the description. I, I, I recently did the same thing. I reread something that I had written from the perspective of a desert rat, because that's where I come from. And, you know, everyone says it's a dry heat. And I, I took time to explain what that dry heat feels like. You know, how it's, you know, the instant sweat and the wind sandblasting all of the dirt to your skin and that gritty feeling. And while, yeah, it's a great description, when I reread it, it was like, this is the kind of stuff I would probably skim over, but it's it's that world building detail that I think people should understand. So where's the balance? And that's where you got to get somebody else to read it because we're always like bored by stuff like that if we've read it like six times. But if, like you said, get somebody that knows what that feels like to read it and see if they're skimming it or if they're like, that's exactly right. And then, you know. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Beta readers, you know, that's what they're good for. That's, that's true. That is I awesome. don't use them. I never have used them. I never have had them is the real problem. So what, what is your process then? How, how do you? I write it and I send it to my editor and she's the first one who reads it. Ah, okay. You started with traditional publishing, right? Yes. Yeah. 
and I, li I lived in Weyburn, Saskatchewan, and the writers group in Weyburn, Saskatchewan was six elderly women who wrote stories about the depression. Um, yeah. yeah, probably one of them. I thought they were elderly, right? They were, it was the eighties, they would have been kids in the thirties. So yeah, they were, you know, probably the age I am now. <laughs> they were elderly. Um, but yeah, there just wasn't anybody there and everything, you know, everything was done by mail and I'd send out mm -hmm. stories and I sent a book to Tor once and two years later, I finally got in touch with them and they said, oh, we lost that, you know, that was the piece at which things happened. Mm -hmm. uh, so yeah, I didn't, that, that's, that's basically it. I did have, I, I shouldn't say never, there was some writing, there used to be, it was called the Science Fiction and Fantasy Writers Workshop. It was run by Kathleen Dalton Woodbury out of Utah, I think she was. And it was it was critiqued by mail. So you would send your novel off to somebody else and they would send you theirs or you'd, and you would read it and you, but boy, you know, it, it would be like six months before you got the feedback. And eventually I was writing, I was writing so fast that I didn't, that just didn't work too much for me. But I did find a couple of really good critiquers at that time that were very helpful. And they both went on to become uh, published authors before I did, in fact. So that was good. But after that, it just kind of, I, I just never got in the habit. <laughs> and so I just do it myself. And, and almost not in everybody, there's in the, in the people I've interviewed in the podcast, there are people who don't use beta readers like me. Uh, and I do think they tend to be sometimes older authors, maybe who started a little further back. A traditional a real thing now. I mean, everybody that I've talked yeah. to recently, like newer people all seem to do it. Well, in the, the other method of doing it, your editor then becomes not only your beta reader, but your editor yeah. as well. So it's it's exactly. getting a higher level of critique and revisions, you know, are the same. You yeah. still get notes of what yeah. you have to change. And, and my, my editor at DAW is uh, Sheila Gilbert. And she's been in the business since the 80s. And she's read thousands of manuscripts and edited, you know, all kinds of bestsellers and everything. And it's amazing what she finds. So even when I think I really nailed that, just like it's perfect. <laughs> no. Two hour film conversation, and then I write 25,000 more words to fill in the stuff that I didn't quite nail because mm -hmm. I tend to get longer in my revisions. Uh, oh, see, yeah. yeah that's we do right. actually because, again, I, I like, I don't know, I get around 50,000 to 60,000 words, and I'm like, it's, yep, I'm done. Next story, I want to talk about a different thing. So, yeah, when I go through the edits, it does tend to like expand by 10,000 words, even when I'm trying to cut it down. Like, it tends oh. to be characterization or maybe things mm -hmm. that I knew really well, but didn't put enough on the page for the reader yeah. to get it. And, and, and yeah, that's that's what the readers are good because yeah. I find that I usually like, I mean, I've seen people do up to like 10 or 20. I don't know how they do that with like my head would explode. If you can get like three really good beta readers that like write in a similar genre as you, they can really go, yeah, I didn't understand what you were doing there. That's helpful. That's really yeah. helpful. I did just use one on something I'm working on now. I had like one person look at it. <laughs> so, you know, mm -hmm. small steps. <laughs> I, well, I like getting, you know, three to four because then you get a good yeah. varied opinion. And I, yeah. I tend to go with the same people now because I trust their opinions. But and originally, I would look for other authors that write that write the genre as well as readers in the genre because the authors will be a little harsher and a little more able to point out specifics and technique. Whereas a reader yeah. might, oh, that was great, or um, I, I need yeah. a little more information in the chat. They're they're more vague about their responses. They're better as like that arc reader, like you know, like can you leave a review about how much you love it, which is awesome. 
but they don't tend to be as like this sentence structure is weird. What did you do here? Really? I like that. I need that because again, I don't always show my work and yep. and yep. a good beta worker, a beta worker. I'm like beta worker. That sounds like somebody who has a very. I'm going to write that down. <laughs> yeah, I have like a list of 300 ideas that I'm going to get to one of these days. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I, 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 I still have 40 some books to write. <laughs> I have six to edit because this dictation thing has helped with some of the getting of the ideas out has created a separate new problem that I did not anticipate, which is six, 60,000 plus word first dress. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I still have a full-time job and kids. So yeah, yeah. I, I work full-time too. So <laughs> like I, I've got a different model. My kids, are grown. My kids are grown at this point, but yes. Yeah, I get up at four 30. So I can get some stuff done. But not that kind of editing. No. And yeah. Yeah. No, and that I think takes the longest. I mean, writing is the easiest part, as hard as it is. It's the, the easiest part. Is easy. Yes. Everything after that is is the the draining part where you really have to take your time and you really have to go line by line, you know, look at each scene, look at each character, make sure they're right. And and that a lot of new authors don't understand that right. that's where most of the work is done. That first yeah. draft is the fun part. <laughs> Yeah, it, I, think I love the editing process too, but it's like that love-hate because I love what happens to every book while I'm revising it and editing it. And and I would say like, I, I probably go through each book at least six times because, you know, you write your first draft and then you clean it up and then you clean it up again and then you send it to your editor mm -hmm. and then you send it to your beta readers and then you clean it up like a few more times. So like six, but every time you do it, it gets better. And then you want to read your story again. And I, get, I get to the point, I get to the point, I get past the excitement, past the loving it into when I, when I get to the point where I hate it, then it's ready. I know it's done. Yeah. <laughs> it's like because again, my attention span is too short. So mm -hmm. if I could get to the hate it stage, they'd probably be way cleaner. But there's always squirrels. <laughs> yeah. Just, like, yeah. Oh yes. <laughs> how about you, Edward? How how many revisions do you end up doing? Um, probably before it goes to the editor, it's about four times through. And then after the editor comes back, it's another time through. And then of course it's the page proofs time through. <laughs> so, you know, six, six. Like really good number. Um, I've heard Dean Wesley Smith talk a few times about the writing into the dark. And I'm like, I don't know how one would do that when one has, spelling and grammar issues but his he just writes one copy and then that's like it for him well and again going back to the people i've interviewed um there are some who do a rolling revision so they're revising all the way through going back and okay. revising and rising and so they get to the end and they're basically john scalzi says he works that way it's a re rolling revision and it gets to the end and it's pretty clean um on yeah. the other hand robert j sawyer uh, had a great quote from, there's another Canadian author named Edo Van Belkham, a horror author, I think, mainly. 
And I think this came from him, but the first draft he calls the vomit draft. So you just, yeah. you get it out there yeah. and it's a cute, yep. horrible mess and you have to clean it up, but you feel so much better. All of that food poisoning's out and you can just recover now. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. You know, again, everybody does it differently. <laughs> that, that's exactly how I think of it too. It's the word vomit phase where you just get it out, get it on the paper yeah. and you have a hot mess first draft but at least you have something to work with. And you know, that's why I like it's good. It's not clean and it needs revision, but it I rarely do any major, major revisions on the basic yeah. thing. Like the plot stays the same. Flushing it out and adding characterization and every <laughs> once in a while I have to deal with some plot point that, that I kind of just skimmed over thinking Sheila won't notice that and Sheila always notices. <laughs> they always notice. You like Tanya Huff and Julie Shaneda and you know uh, Oh God, I love Tanya Huff stuff. Oh. Yeah. Yes, we we all have this thing in the back of our head is what would Sheila say? <laughs> and we talked about it because we've been on panels where we talked about it and it's always this, you know, you think maybe you can get away with it and but if in the back of your head there's that little thing going uh-uh, and sure enough, uh-uh, and then you have to fix it. And it, if you'd fixed it to start with, it would have been better. But but as you get better, you do tend to fix it before sending it through. Who would think? <laughs> you would, you would yeah. Okay, you made me a <laughs> That's That's the, you know, that's the, I think the best part about dictating things is you get that, you just, you basically just talk, right? So you're not, it's like you, your inner editor is driving the car right now. So it actually isn't part of the writing process. And then when I get wherever I'm going, I usually try to build in an extra 15 or 20 minutes so that I can like fix the dragon speak. Because sometimes I'm like cheese pizza. That's not in here at all. Oh, we're oh, that's what I meant. You know, so so there's other extra fun mistakes, but you can also clear up some of those awkward sentences just going through it. So it's almost like a second draft by the time you're looking at your your first draft. I use transcription software for the podcast so that I can do a full transcript. And of course, that takes editing. You get some. Funny results <laughs> sometimes. Yes. One thing I'm talking about writing process, and so people will say, "Well, are you a plotter or a pantser?" The transcription software always translates that as panzer, like the German tank. Are you a panzer? <laughs> yes, I'm a panzer. <laughs> there's one. I don't remember what they actually said, but the transcription put it out as not getting enough sex, and that was not at all what the author had said. So I have to be really careful. <laughs> about editing that stuff. So one thing that I find very helpful if you're ever trying to figure it out, say it whatever your transcription device said, say it out loud fast. Because yeah. when you say it out loud fast, you're like, oh, that's what that sentence means. Your, your mental filter well, puts the word in. Uh, if yeah. you ever need it, this is a service called Sonics. Sonics.ai is the website. And it, you know, you have to pay for it, but it works quite well. And the thing is that you can, you can play it, and it does little not follow the bouncing ball, but little highlights the words that it's saying, and you can hear it, and you can transcribe it and make your your corrections right there on the website, and then you export it as a word file, and you can continue editing over there. So it's been a it's been a lifesaver for wanting to do full transcripts. And I've got some nonfiction work coming up where I'll be interviewing somebody. And my hope is that it will work really well for that. So instead of taking copious notes, I can just conduct the interview and I will have the notes taken for me, which will be very good. 
I'm reading notes here. I'm a tank, but break down often and sometimes overheat. <laughs> I'm enjoying you, Rebecca. I don't know you, but I think I want to. Rebecca is actually our second show sponsor. She's one of our other bosses. Well, I love your boss because that is awesome. She's one of my beta readers too. <laughs> and under my pen name, she is also my publisher. So oh. she's the boss in multiple levels. <laughs> Well, she's clearly quite awesome, and I didn't even know she was your boss, so it's not me kissing up. <laughs> but yeah, no, I mean, yeah, I like the panzer thing. <laughs> that would be a fun thing to call yourself. Yes. I am a panzer author. My mother may have called me Hurricane Heather growing up frequently. Okay. But I am a second, so I, I have a second, and dear so Lord, I don't have any. Well, I'm the second. I've got three brothers, so okay, yeah. that middle, not middle. That's why I was yeah. like, oh, the second, isn't it? <laughs> I'm truly the middle. Yes. Well, I have the middle, and a uh, week after I brought her home from the hospital, after having her, I was like she's going to be in charge of something someday i'm just not sure which side of the prison bars it will be on <laughs> now now what is it for the third child um my i i believe that's the mind gamer but maybe that's just my uh personal <laughs> third child, speaking as a third child <laughs> well but if it's a baby it's different the babies are always sweet no, but not mine. If there's, <laughs> if there's like another one, they've got two older siblings that they've watched and learned from and learned how to like stay out of trouble. And then they like use all of their evil on the younger one. My, my third will rule the world one day and we should all hope to be on her good side when that happens. Zoe? Yes, she has a reputation. <laughs> Yeah, well, I'm not worried about peer pressure for that one. Let's just put it that way. It's oh, like, no. if she's ever in trouble for setting something on fire, etc., it's not because somebody convinced her to do it. <laughs> it's definitely was her idea. <laughs> there are many moments oh, when I have so. <laughs> have one, one in a row. Huh? I only have two, but I'm, I'm, my, my oldest is now pregnant with her second child, so. Yes. Nana, and it's a girl. And did you do the curse to her? See, my yeah. mom cursed her. And, and then took it back. I mean, I've oh, heard no. of people being cursed by their parents. Oh, I hope you have a good, just like you. Someday. I've never heard anybody else's parents try to take it back. No. Like, I hope one day you have a kid like you. I'm so sorry. I didn't mean it. And then you're like, what does that mean? <laughs> Having a five-year-old kick you and run at the mall and scream at you. I hope you live through that. Yeah. yeah. I believe it's the sometimes I get so mad I just want to kill them. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> well, she's writing it down. She's Twenty-five. My youngest is twenty. He's gonna be twenty-one in December. But yeah, it's just like it's like freedom. Huh? 
Are they close in age? Five years apart. Do you see that's a safe distance? Well, my my daughter got used to being the only child, and she was very angry that I had a boy, not another girl. Oh, well, yeah, but if you would have had a girl, it would have been fine, because then it would have been her doll. No, well, yeah, mine are three years apart. Yeah, like all of them together. That's a good. That's a good spread. No, I mean, like, the oldest was three and a half when I had the youngest. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it didn't, I don't remember a lot of that time. <laughs> I remember when my second was about 18 months old, you kind of just, like, I was out for a walk, and I remember it was like, I blinked, and I was like, oh, yeah. hey. <laughs> I, like, I woke up, and I was like, I was pretty sure I was awake the last two years, but it, <laughs> it felt like I woke up. I was like, oh, it's hey. a thought. Autopilot for two years straight. Yeah. And then after the third was born, like we had, it was just easy by that time. So that was why I was like, I need something to do with my life. I'm going to start writing books at 2 a.m., right? Because yep. that's my mom too. It's like, I can't sleep anyway. And there you go. Use your time wisely. Vampire Academy phase and psych. I was watching a lot of Netflix, put it that yep. way. <laughs> all right well we are out of time guys i want to thank you too for sharing your time with us and to our audience as well for listening in and to our sponsor rebecca jonesy who is the author of realistic fantasies both fiction and sexy or so, excuse me let me read that again author of realistic <laughs> fantasies both sexy and killer don't let me get that wrong the boss will get her cattle brought out <laughs> <laughs> And no, I'm not joking. <laughs> so thank you guys all for watching. We will be back next week with more people to introduce you to and some more fun conversation. Remember to like, share, and subscribe. Spread the word, and we will see you then. Bye, guys. Bye. Bye. Thank you.